Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of the Propane Fitness Podcast. I'm here with the other editor, Yusuf. Before, before we start, Yusuf, you competed in the industry camp. I competed on Saturday at the GBPF uh, Classics, the Nationals, which was uh, a lot of fun. I was in the 83 kilo category, which uh, is a very average weight, and so it was a pretty busy flight. Um, there were some serious freaks that were lifting on that day, so I, I didn't even place, but uh, I'm, I'm not even mad, because some of the lifts were extremely impressive. The competition continued on until Sunday, uh, where some of the, uh, the heavier guys were lifting as well, and uh, generally an all-round uh, inspiring place to be. Was, uh, so what, what were your lifts? On Saturday I did... 180 squat, 130 pause bench, and 220 deadlift, um, which is 2.5 kilos off a PB total, um, simply because of the, the deadlift was just quite poor on that day. Uh, lifetime PB would be 232.5 deadlift, but I think there's a, there's a big difference between going for a one rep max deadlift in training when you're fresh compared to deadlifting at midnight after... <laughs> Six, uh, <laughs> six max attempts of squat and bench. So overall, uh, pretty pleased with it. And uh, you can check the video link in the description below. I think that's something that no one ever talks about, is that with how long powerlifting needs to go on for. It's ridiculous. It, like, they drag on for five hours, maybe. So even if you, you've got some caffeine and things to rely on, you, you know, you start jumping up and down and <laughs> what what high tech um, nutritional strategies did you use throughout the day to um, keep your energy up? So I, I was making use of the, um, the complex chain oligosaccharides in wagon wheels. Basically, they've been right. devised uh, specifically for this purpose. I think I ate between six and eight wagon wheels on the day. Um, <laughs> I mean, the effects are dose dependent, depending on your weight and requirements of the individual. But, uh, yeah, the wagon wheel strategy works pretty well. <laughs> cool. So they obviously keep you nice and anabolic. Oh, extremely. I know that, Darren. Um, so what are your plans going forward, then? You... Um, plans going forward just to get a little bit leaner over the next, uh, next few weeks or months, considering dropping down to the 74s, because um, I actually weighed in. Uh, on Saturday at 80.4, so 6.4 kilos off a lower weight category. We'll see how whether a drop in performance outweighs the, the benefit of being 74 kilos closer to the time. But, uh, yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, I'll stick some photos up on my training log over on the forum, which you can uh, check out on propanefitness.com forward slash forum, as well as uh, the rest of us. <laughs> so... What does a, a cutting diet look like for you, Seth? What are your macros? Um, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 protein, carb, fat, um, just initially. What about, what about fiber? 1,000? Usually, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I know we've, we've got an article on carb night being um, a good weight loss strategy, but I personally don't respond very well to carbs any lower than 200 grams a day. So... What I'm planning to do this time around is just um, cycling the carbs, maybe three or four high days throughout the week with um, about 260 grams of carbs on rest days. 
So nothing too crazy. Filed quite low. How many four holidays? Three or four, yeah. Wow. Where are the carbs on holidays? Uh, carbs would be four, three, five, um, according to Eric Helms, who I've just had a uh, consultation with. <laughs> you just see Johnny's eyes widening there. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to argue, but um, <laughs> very quickly out my depth there. So, well, um, that sounds fantastic, you said. I'm, I'm thinking about the way to reply. In fact, I would have given you exactly the same. <laughs> so, if, if you're wondering why we're saying this um, and you don't know who Eric Helms is, then uh, listen to our interview with him uh, on the website as well, and, uh, and you'll see that he's a, a very clever man. He is indeed. So, shall we get to some lovely questions? Let's do it. Alright, we're going to answer Harrison's questions first, because it's Harrison's birthday today. Happy birthday, so, Harrison. Happy birthday, Harrison. We're trying to decide what, what it is that Harrison's actually asking, because it's more of a statement. To summarise this question, he's talking. He's asking about whether a diet can be used for uh, to improve your tolerance of volume, um, improve your top end strength and whether you need to make any differences to diet for hypertrophy rather than strength work. Um, so do you, want to, do you have any thoughts on that yourself initially? Um, guessing from the question that he's talking about um, how to adapt diet for more glycolytic training, that is um, training that uses more glycogen, than, I don't think there's a huge difference in, in terms of if you're doing a very high volume then uh, Lyle McDonald's recommendation would be, <coughs> and I quote, uh, for every two sets of 10 reps of a compound lift, you require five extra grams of carbs. So a typical high volume workout should not require more than 40 to 60 grams of extra carbs. Um, I think that maybe makes sense, but uh, it's not something that I would personally um, consider playing about with too much unless the volume is on either end of the spectrum. What do you think? Yeah. I think when you mention this volume, it kind of depends what we're talking about. Like if, if you're comparing a, say, a CrossFit athlete to um, a pure strength athlete, I think that the dietary requirements for those two people are different. Um, the way I'd probably set up the diet anyway would be to, to fix fat as a percentage of calories and then let the carbs fill the remainder depending on what the calories would be. So I think carbs are always going to help tolerate more volume. Um, personally, i found that I can still remain... My, my top end strength is, is kind of untouched even when I move remove uh, carbs from the diet. So I do think... I think if there is a relationship at all, I think um, as volume increases carbs should make up a greater percentage of calories. Um, to answer the question, is it different for hypertrophy? Uh, I'd say no. I'd say hypertrophy is something that you can, you'll need a calorie surplus. Optimally, I'd say that that calorie surplus should come from carbs, but I guess there's no reason necessarily that carbs can be lower and fat can be a high percentage of calories as long as there's a calorie surplus there. Um, and I think really if you're training to improve strength or train for hypertrophy, the diets are going to look pretty similar all in all. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as long as um, you have adequate levels of glycogen. I think I, I have had the same experience as Johnny where um, on a zero-carb diet when you're glycogen depleted as you, you can be, 
top hand strength tends to be all right, um, particularly with uh, the higher catecholamine output that you have on a low carb diet. Uh, so you you're still quite aggressive in the gym. You still lift quite quite heavy, but work capacity severely drops. And um, after one or two sets to failure, the rest of the session just uh, goes down the pan because it's uh, too tired. Yeah, I think uh, it's something that you can experiment with. I mean, we, we touched on this a little bit in the last podcast, but um, some people will feel better with fat as a high percentage of calories. Um, some people will feel better with carbs. I, I personally feel better with the majority of my calories coming from carbs. I perform better that way. Um, the majority of my clients are the same. Uh, I know you said you're the same as well, as you just said. So. Yeah, absolutely. That, that actually um, segues us quite well into um, Mark uh, Borsuk's question on muscle gain in keto for us carbon-tolerant people. My personal opinion is that unless there's an underlying metabolic pathology, the prime determinant of insulin sensitivity under your control is going to be body fat. So if you can just simply get leaner, you are going to become increasingly carb-tolerant. And so um, I wouldn't necessarily discount the possibility of eating carbs in the future, but they, they may need to be uh, temporarily reduced while you, uh, while you get down to a, a level of leanness that will be a bit better and, uh, and earn your carbs when you, when you lift. Yeah, um, I think following on from that as well, if muscle gain is something that you're pursuing um, and you're using keto because you feel you're carb tolerant, because you feel that you're let's say hypothetically your fat mass is, is too high, um, which is, tends to be the, the primary reason that people think that they're carbon tolerant. Um, is muscle gain perhaps the best goal to pursue at that point? Maybe it would be better to, as you're saying, look to drop body fat initially and then pursue muscle gain over a longer term basis and take it slowly while trying to keep fat mass down. Um, and that way you'll be able to include more carbs in the diet and probably progress quicker and, and more efficiently with with weight training as well. Um, if, however, fat mass isn't a concern for you and you're just using keto because you think it's a better approach, my my personal stance on carbs is that you should keep them as high as you can um, and that there's no distinct benefit, in my opinion, to keto, especially for muscle gain. You said to cover the benefits, the pros and cons of low carb very well in, in a recent article when used to fat loss, but I certainly see no no real benefit to using it for muscle gain. Let's also not forget that keto diets are um, pretty smelly, pretty expensive, and uh, pretty socially awkward. So there's yeah. not a whole lot going on. Very pleasant as well. Oh, horrific. Yeah. Um, next question is from Amanda Machado. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, <laughs> cycling carbs, cycling calories, alcohol and fitness, fasting, high-intensity cardio, and tips for women to gain muscle. Um, I think that's... Fitness, uh, that's basically. What's that? Fitness. fitness. All of fitness. All of it. I think we can uh, we can certainly cover that in a, in a series for um, for women over the coming weeks. Um, there's not a whole lot that I would personally change in terms of programming a, a female client compared to a male one. Um, maybe some slight changes in uh, choice of cardio or, or calories, but nothing groundbreaking. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I think the only things I'll change with in terms of weight training programming is I'll generally keep the volume a little bit lower. 
Um, I just find that, the, on average, women tend to respond quite poorly to high volume routines. Again, that's a personal thing. So experiment and see what works for you. And then when setting up a diet, um, I'll typically include more fat as a percentage of total calories. Um, I also tend to, when estimating maintenance, if they don't have previous records of calorie intake and how that affects their body weight, I'll usually estimate their maintenance using a lower metric. So the standard metric for your average weight training male would be body weight in pounds times 15. Um, to estimate your maintenance for a woman, I'd go more towards 13 or 14 um, as a metric for that. Those would be the only changes I make, but generally, as you have said, um, the basic principles of, of progressive overload and calorie deficit or surplus to achieve your goals still, still stand. High intensity interval training, good or bad, you said. <laughs> um, very unpleasant to do, and uh, yeah, and relatively effective, but I wouldn't force someone to do it if they absolutely hated it. You can certainly yeah. without it. Yeah, I, I prefer to use steady state cardio. It's much easier, much less stressful, uh, controversial. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you're, it depends if you're using interval training for, for cardiovascular health or cardio, like to improve your tolerance of um, metabolic type training, I think high intensity interval training is good. If you're using it for calorie expenditure um, and to increase the deficit, I would always prefer low intensity because it affects weight training performance less. True. <clears throat> I mean, I think there is something that um, Subversity wrote a, a review on uh, the ratio of fat to muscle gain in certain individuals, and they found that VO2 max was a, a decent predictor of uh, a higher ratio of lean mass to fat gain. Okay. Uh, meaning that uh, if someone does have a high VO2 max, uh, you know, which is developed through high-intensity cardio, that uh, they are more likely to gain more lean mass as a proportion of total body weight, um, which was an interesting finding. I, I don't know whether that carries over to someone who's, who's also training, doing resistance training frequently as well. But jury Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that um, if, you're, if your main goal is, is to improve strength or preserve lean muscle mass in a diet, let's say, and you start including high-intensity interval training and that um, detracts from your weight training performance, I think it's not worth including. I think if you can include it and it not have any effect, then, then that's fine. Next question was... Oh, hold on. Some more questions in that question. Oh, gosh. Are we really Fast. asking them all? We can't do fat. We've done fasting. We've done fasting. It's fine. Fasting's fine. Alcohol and um, It's funny she mentions that because there's actually a really good uh, series at some website called oh, it's, it's uh, Propane Fitness um, uh, called Fresh as Fat, which uh, has some pretty good tips for combining alcohol and social events with training. Do you know what I think the best piece of advice for alcohol is? And it's unbelievably cliche, but Moderation. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously though, I think unless you're Martin Birkan, drinking to excess is going to negatively affect your body composition performance. So if you're drinking alcohol, that's fine. 
reduce your food intake during the day and include some alcohol to prevent it from affecting your training, affecting your mental state and making silly decisions. Oh. That's, that's how it's implemented in practice. Don't take the piss and you'll be okay. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Manuel Bruch asks, uh, if any of you have ever tried Mayo reps and what do you think about it in terms of size gain? Uh, both myself and Johnny have done Mayo reps for a while with uh, a lot of success. They're great fun to do. They're not too taxing. You know, they keep things interesting when you're training. Um, if anyone doesn't know, Mayo reps are devised by Borge Fageli, um, who's a Norwegian trainer, uh, strength coach, and so on, who the idea behind it is that um, by maintaining the highest level of, uh, of activation and cycling your ATP through um, deep breaths between rest pauses of your set, you can maintain a high level of activation throughout the, the set or through an extended set. So, for example, you would do um, a set of 10 reps, wrap the bar, um, take three to five deep breaths, and then just do triples with three to five deep breaths in between the triples for a total of 25 reps. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, concise explanation. Couldn't have explained any better. I think there's other, there's, I think there's slight variations on the, the three reps. I think um, Borges does have protocols that go up to seven reps, I think. Um, as low as two, as high as seven. I think I've seen, and he, he kind of recommends cycling them. Um, he's a big fan of cycling volume and intensity for hypertrophy and strength focus. Um, I found, I, I think, I, yeah, my reps is, feels really efficient. Um, you feel like you're getting an awful lot of effective training done in a very short period of time. I think the only thing I didn't like about it was that um, progression week to week isn't very transparent. Um, I think if you progress by adding weight, you eventually run into a brick wall and the reps become slow and you can't perform as much work. And if you try and perform more weight, you can sometimes just feel like you can go on forever. Um, yeah, exactly. I think I remember seeing uh, Dan, <laughs> he's one of the old editors of uh, Propane, performing um, sets on bench for what well, seemed like half an hour on my reps. I, I remember from his log he did uh, a 90 kilo bench for 43 reps. Which, uh, <laughs> must have been pretty unpleasant. Um, if you want to find out more, by the way, it's uh, Mayo, Mike, Yankee, Oscar, reps. Um, so just search that on Google, you'll find a pretty decent explanation now. Yeah, um, there's an article on uh, com, <clears throat> which is entitled My Reps in English. Borges' native language is in English from what I understand, but I think he's either written this himself or had it translated and it, it explains it pretty pretty concisely. There's a lot of, a lot of explanation on, on like, protocols and how to implement it. Yeah, that's, if you haven't tried it, I'd certainly give it a go. There's an uh, dog crap is another pretty common rest pause protocol that, that was also worth trying, but uh, kind of comes at it from a different angle, more focused on uh, fatigue. But it's a similar kind of idea with using using a rest pause, uh, rest between sets kind of approach. Questions, questions. Coconut oil. Oh yeah, uh, coconut oil is a big hype. Um, prove it wrong. <laughs> uh, I think you can. Um, 
So I think, I think there's a lot of, there's an awful lot of health benefits behind coconut oil. Um, I'm not going to begin to try and argue that, that those claims are wrong, because I agree with, with all of them. The one thing I would say is I've tried including coconut oil in coffee and bulletproof coffee and things like that for a while and eventually reached this enlightened conclusion that actually I'd rather have fat in food later in the day than have fat in my coffee in the morning, which, yeah, may sound like a ridiculous issue to think of but... For ages, I was I was drinking this this coconut oil in my coffee, convinced that it was accelerating fat loss and, and all these different things. And actually, I decided that I'd rather just like have a muffin at lunchtime and have the fat in my diet that way than uh, than two tablespoons of oil in your coffee. Um, in my coffee, you don't even notice. Like if you if you were to drink the coffee without the oil, afterwards you'd sit there and think, I feel exactly the same as if I had the oil in the coffee. I'm just 200 calories, um, yeah, I'm 200, uh, 200 calories left for the rest of the day. I think it's important so, to include coconut oil into your diet and you, you know, you're convinced about the health benefits. Definitely. You don't have to put it in coffee. Like you, you, yeah. you, you could fry with it or you could um, use it as, as a substitute for any other fat source that you would normally use and then uh, get the best of both worlds. I think to be fair, Chris, he hasn't actually specified in the coffee, that's just, that was my fault. Um, so yeah, include, include, uh, include coconut oil in your diet by all means. But it, like with all um, like butters and oils, I think it is easy to just kind of go a bit mental and think you're having a tablespoon, kid yourself that you're having a tablespoon when actually it's a, a heaped tablespoon and then you're having three heaped tablespoons, which is like before you know that you added like 500 calories to your mouth. Um, all to get the medium chain triglycerides and a lot of smoke point and things like that. So that would be the only safeguard I'd, I'd put in place. Don't, don't put in your coffee, in my opinion. <clears throat> Probably going to get shouted at by Dave Asprey now. But, yeah. The Dave Asprey. Um, <laughs> next question is by Blake Koslick saying, um, what dietary strategies work best with different workout styles? I think we kind of addressed that in Harrison's question Um Main takeaway point being, don't do a ridiculous high volume workout when you're on a cyclical keto diet, um, or if you're on very low volume, you don't need stupid amounts of carbs. But provided that your overall macros and calories are are okay, then it's not gonna it's not gonna kill you. Yeah, if if you're doing a lot of uh, extra activity, you know we we sometimes have clients who want to gain weight, they're quite underweight at the moment, but um, they work a manual job, they're on their feet most of the day, and they play football twice a week. Obviously, you need to account for that in your calorie calculations and uh, make sure that you're eating a surplus despite that. Yeah, I think it's, I think the, the, um, the main concern should be match your dietary strategy to your goal, and then if that happens to be low carb, consider the volume of your training sessions. I, I agree with what Yusuf was saying in that you, you can more or less, as long as you're not on, as long as you're not trying to marry a, a very high volume, as long as you're not trying to do CrossFit on keto, oh, you're probably going to be fine. Um, I can't think of anything worse. There must be people who try that. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. undoubtedly. I'd yeah. cry. It's horrendous. Okay, last question. How to stick to a routine I've planned to achieve a certain physical weight? Right. To me, that screams of... Um, that's basically saying, I've designed a routine that's really difficult to stick to, and I'm having trouble sticking to it. Um, how can I adjust my lifestyle to fit my training program? And as you may have noticed from our recent uh, article series <laughs> um, called IIFYL, if it fits your lifestyle, the core message behind that is you should fit the other way around. So if you have a certain schedule, certain um, food preferences, you should make your diet account for those things so that uh, your diet and training program have the least intrusion into your life as possible so that you can follow your program effortlessly for weeks on end and drift into your ideal body weight without much trouble. That now sounds like we, we answered that question. Um, I assure you it was a real question. That wasn't just a plug. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think another thing to, to consider is um, that ultimately... Your, your routine that you're trying to follow or your, your routine that you've planned is just a series of, of habits that happen either at different points of the day or sequentially and you implement habits and stick to them when they're easy to follow so as what you were saying if what you're trying to do is, is immensely complicated no matter how motivated you are as soon as the, the smallest thing comes up you're going to deviate from that plan so Try and keep things as simple as possible initially and stick to it for a month, maybe two months before making things more complicated. Um, that would probably be my number one tip for for sticking to any routine. This is, of course, assuming that you followed the uh, If It Fits Your Lifestyle principles. Of course. Of course. <laughs> right, I think that's all the questions. Thanks for your questions, guys. Um send some more across if you uh, if you can think of anything that you really want answered next week and uh, yeah. get on our Facebook awesome. page. Any, any people you want us to get on the podcast, any interviews? Um, I think last, last time I asked that question we had one suggestion, which was Christine Thibodeau. <laughs> um. I don't know if we could keep it together. <laughs> no. <laughs> So yeah, maybe maybe not him. Um, although Christine, if you're listening, um, I'm sure you are. Um, we'd love to have you. So uh, it's always worth a try. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's uh, that's the end of episode five, and we'll speak to you soon.